Well, hey, listeners, this is Kim Honeycutt. Dan Bruzak here. And we're ecstatic to be back with you podcasting as you talk here, voices. And we're just going to give you a real quick introduction. You're about to hear an exceptional speaker. We want you to not just be able to go to YouTube or channel and watch because some people are very visual. They want to they want to see Heather and how she presented. One has options here. People have options these days. When you're an adult, you have choices. So you also can choose this podcast. Obviously, you did. Great choice. And so you're about to hear the audio of Heather O'Brien sharing her story. And her story very much involves her husband, Sean. But it's her story, too. So she's about to share that with you. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. Before I even get started, I want to tell you about my husband. My husband, Sean. Wave, Sean. So, uh, Sean is my hero. He is a warrior. He is an elite athlete. He is an amazing leader for our family. But he is plagued by chronic pain every single day. You know, he's good to the core. He'd give you the shirt off his back, but he's in a lot of pain. His body hurts so badly that he doesn't usually get up and moving each day until about one-ish. He's usually awake by about 9.30, between 9.30 and 11, but it takes him about two hours of stretching, physical therapy. Um, sometimes we do cupping on his back. I don't know if any of you ever have done that, but he's, if we bruise him good, we know we've done a great job. <laughs> um, we work hard. My children and I, we have three daughters. Our daughters are 18, 20, and 22. And in our house, we say it takes a village to raise a Sean <laughs> out of bed. <laughs> we work hard at that every day. But you know, um, it's really, really, really difficult to live with chronic pain. It's also really difficult to be married to somebody with chronic pain. I often say, boy, you're lucky you're cute, dude, because you're a lot of work. <laughs> and he knows that. But where he is chronically in pain, I am chronically a pain. So we kind of balance each other out in that respect. I really, really think. He has massive muscle and nerve damage in his body. He was an incredibly elite athlete. He played college ball. He played college baseball. Um, held the national record for turn double plays and stolen bases at our university that we went to in South Florida, but he played through pain. You know, he was number six of seven kids in his family, and he was there on a full scholarship, and he can't stop playing if your scholarship depends on it. So he would go and work with trainers two and three and four hours before each game. He'd get out there, and he was the captain. He was the leader of that team, and he would get out there and play his heart out and make it through five, six, seven innings before they'd carry him off on a stretcher and load him in the back of his parents' station wagon, and then he wouldn't walk or move for the next couple of days. That's just how he rolled. We thought he was overtrained. We thought his body hurt because he had been overtrained as an athlete. We had no clue what it was. But then we got out of college and the pain persisted, so we started to dig more. He went to doctors and specialists all over the United States. We probably would have gone out of the country if we could. I mean, you guys, six weeks at the chronic pain rehab program at the Mayo Clinic. He was with the best doctors in the United States. His file with our family doctor here in Charlotte is well over a thousand pages long. He's been to every ologist on the planet. 
I mean, you know, spine specialists, neurologists, endocrinologists, rheumatologists. He's been to every single person and they've all said, I don't think you fall under my scope. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that. We've even had times where we've had doctors say, well, you don't have cancer, you're not dying. You look okay, but that doesn't stop what it feels like inside of you all day long when your muscles are seizing up and your nerves are being compressed and pain is shooting out to every area of your body. So what you have to understand is Sean is a brilliant financial planner. He's got a brilliant, brilliant mind, but he had a body that wouldn't cooperate. So he was on and off disability for years. And I'm a teacher. And I don't know if you know much about teaching in North Carolina, <laughs> but we don't get paid great, right? So I took on private tutoring clients. I was seeing upwards of 20 and 30 clients a week on top of teaching full-time and having three kids. And I don't say that to say, oh, woe is me. I say that because we poured ourselves into making sure our family stayed afloat. And even with that, we almost lost our house, I don't even know how many times, and our water got turned off. And when my girls were little, I could say, okay, guys, we're taking a field trip. Grab your stuff. We're going to the Y for showers, <laughs> right? That worked until middle school. Then they were on to me, and we couldn't do that anymore. But I don't know how many nights we looked out the window. We went to bed praying, and then we woke up in the morning and looked out the window, hoping that the cars hadn't been taken away. And I wish I could tell you that we got in massive financial shape terrible, terrible financial shape because we were living large and we were going to the Bahamas and we had fancy cars. But the truth is we got hit in the head with two by fours over and over and over and we felt hopeless and we felt helpless and we were drowning. And Sean not only felt hopeless and helpless, he felt horrible because he was having a hard time providing for our family and he was massively depressed and misdiagnosed a hundred times. And that takes a toll and we lived for the, probably the first 15 years of our marriage with Sean having very severe suicidal ideation. I never knew if he was gonna come home just from going to the grocery store. If he didn't get home in a certain amount of time, I would panic and I would call him or I'd be crying when he walked in the door because he thought, he thought he was a burden to us. And he thought, he thought if I can protect the girls, and have, if I could protect them, the best way I could do that is financially. And the only way I can protect, protect them financially is by somehow figuring out a way to make it look like an accident so we could tap into my life insurance policies. He thought he was expendable and he thought he needed to sacrifice himself in order to save us. That was so scary. I can't even tell you how scary it was. You know, it was, it's really hard. I remember the day that we were at my grandmother's funeral and Sean stood over my grandmother's body, and I remember him telling me later, he was standing there with tears pouring down his face. And later on, he said to me, you know, I was standing there jealous. I was jealous of her because she looked peaceful. And he came home, and that was probably before one of his very first hospitalizations for that. But I will tell you that even in the midst of that, it was hard for me to ask him to stay it's hard when you love someone. I didn't want to raise these kids on my own. I didn't want to do it. I, I didn't know how to do it. And I kept saying, I don't know how to do this. I don't want to do this. Don't leave. Please don't leave. But it's hard to look at somebody that you love that much, who's in that much pain, and say to them, would you stay for me tomorrow? Would you stay just one more day? It was really, really difficult. So 
there were a couple of times when he did make attempts on his life, and I'm really, really thankful that I happened to get there in time and I was able to call 911 because each one of those times, just like Nehemiah, Sean was brought back, and there's a reason why. God wasn't done with him yet, and he's not done with him now. But something happened in 2008 that changed everything for us. Sean started to really unexpectedly have some flashbacks. And then it was we figured out exactly why his body was in as much pain as it was. Sean was catastrophically and violently and repeatedly abused by a priest in the Catholic Church when he was a little boy. Over the course of two years, when he was 10 and 11, he was serving Mass from the cathedral school that's attached to the cathedral. So it was a huge honor. It was an honor to be held after. His family lives very close to the school. All of his seven siblings went there. And he was manipulated, and he was absolutely violated well over 50 times over the course of two years. God didn't give him those memories until a certain time. And the reason why is because I think strongly that there was such a huge purpose. Our children have amazing things to do in this world. We had mighty lessons to learn. And if, God, if Sean had gotten this message and, and remembered these repressed memories before we were married, I feel very certain he would have called everything off. He wouldn't have brought children into the world. He would have known he had a huge long road ahead. So I think God's timing is absolutely perfect. But what we realized from that is what happened to him really. When he was 10 and 11 years old, his brain was in a really large time of formation. He was in a huge growth period. And what happened was that the neurons in his brain that were firing together repeatedly wired together. So his body is stuck in fight or flight mode. So you either fight, which he was too little to do, you fight, you flee, which he couldn't do, or you freeze, and that's what's been happening. Every day, all day long, his brain thinks he's in imminent danger, and his brain sends out the pain messages over and over and over, and not only does it send out the pain messages, but the same chemicals that are released when you're in fight or flight are released in his body every day, every single day. Adrenaline, cortisol, you know, think about it. Think of all that stuff. The oxytocin, it's firing and firing, and all of that trauma is then stuck in his body, and it's being repeated. And so, you know, if you put your hand on a hot stove, your brain's like, move, stupid, <laughs> right? So his arms don't move, but his muscles contract, and when they contract, they cause more issues. And so that led to a completely broken down immune system. He couldn't go anywhere without an asthma inhaler. He was always on prednisone. He was always taking medications, and we were lost and when I say we prayed, we didn't really. We didn't even know what that meant. We didn't know what it meant. But we knew when this news came out that we had a really long road ahead of us and we were so afraid. We were afraid for our kids. We were afraid for our futures. His ability to work became less and less. And we were stuck, we call them the dark, twisty years. It was like over a decade where we just stayed hanging on to each other, clinging, praying that we had enough money for mac and cheese that night or that week. We just stayed there. And then when this came out, we felt afraid because we never missed mass, ever, ever. I married this guy partly because I was so excited to find somebody that wanted to go to church with me. I went through the whole process over a year to change my faith, not my faith because it's all faith in God, but I changed the church I belonged to. And that's what happened. I ended up, we had to leave. And when we left, boy, did the Lord rain down on us and open doors, you guys. It was absolutely unbelievable. He was looking for us because you know what? He saw. 
Just like when God saw the blind man, just like when God saw um, the people that have been possessed in the, in the Bible that he calls demons out of them. Just like God saw the woman who was reaching for his garment, she didn't even want to be seen. He saw us. He saw me. He sees Sean in his pain. He sees Heather in her anxiety. He sees our family. And so we came to know Christ. We asked questions. We, we learned. And, you know, it's just amazing to me how the Lord has reached for us every single day. We realized we were never alone. All that time we thought we were alone. He was right there with us. And in that basement rectory, when Sean was being abused, he was there with him, and he was crying, and his heart was breaking. And that's what we have to remember in this world, that the Lord gives us the opportunity to grow and to learn and to reach. And, you know, he gives us these things happening in our lives, and he's swirling opportunities all around us all the time. But unless we take the opportunity to look up and see where he's working, we miss it that time. And so when all of this started to come out and we started to do all this crazy heavy work to make changes, we found a church. We found the Lord. He was there. We found him. He didn't find us. He was there all the time. But he also put some other opportunities in my path. Unfortunately, out of nowhere, my dad was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And that was a catalyst for me to learn something. And I went to a nutrition talk one night, and I learned about these ridiculous things. There are these capsules that are filled with fruits and vegetables. I left a 20-year career teaching special education in the Lake Norman area. I left my tutoring career because I wanted to tell people to put in their body what the Lord put here to put in our body. I knew there was a responsibility that I had to let people know that we could impact our health through fruits and vegetables. And in this job that I do now, I have freedom of time. Sean needs me. We need to spend time with each other. We have freedom to visit our kids in college. We have a freedom financially that we've never had before. And please don't get me wrong, we're not in great shape yet, but we're headed there. <laughs> and we have full benefits. We have tuition support for our kids in college through this ridiculous, amazing company that's been around for 50 years. And if God hadn't been knocking so hard on our heart, I might not have seen where he was shifting the carpet in front of me. I might not have seen where he was lighting the path. We used to pray, Lord Jesus, please write down hundreds of thousands of dollars. That wasn't what we needed. We needed Jesus. And we needed to just see that he was lighting the path to take one step, to step into the shift in the world and see what was next. And when we did that, we grew and we grew, and we grew, and he grew our hearts, and he grew our ability to see people in a different light. He grew our ability to know that we could have a bigger impact than just in our house, because we didn't even think we could impact ourselves. And so what we ended up doing was I grew this business that blew my mind. And in the process of that, Sean said to me about a year and a half ago, I think God's telling me to do something with this story. And I'm like, you think? <laughs> you know, really? Because we hadn't shared it with anybody. You guys are new. We just shared this story publicly in October for the very first time on a Facebook Live because Sean had a feeling he was supposed to impact the world. And as a result of everything that we've been, done and everything the Lord's done through us in the last several years, Sean's starting a foundation. It's called From Darkness Into Light and it's called From Darkness Into Light dot Faith. That's the website for it. And we'd love for you to go and check it out. Dot com and dot org were taken. Dot faith was open, right? It was open. So that's what we're doing. And Sean really has this huge desire through his healing to impact other people who've been victims of abuse and to help give them what they need, resources, 
financial support if they need it, but most importantly, the Lord, because most of these people have not only left the church, but they've left their faith. I'm at time, but could I read one more paragraph? Is that okay? So somebody sent me something online yesterday. It was a dear friend of mine from elementary school, and it's called Gracefully Broken, and just listen to this. I was in Dollar Tree last night, and there was a lady and two kids behind me in the long line. One was a big kid, and one was a toddler. The bigger one had a pack of glow sticks, and the baby was screaming for them, so the mom opened the pack and gave him one, which stopped the tears. He walked around with it smiling, but then the bigger boy took it, and the baby started screaming again. This is when I got kind of mad when I was reading it. I'm like, dude, you took his toy? Um, But just as the mom was about to fuss at the older child, he bent that glow stick, and he handed it back to the baby. As we walked outside at the same time, the baby now noticed that the stick was glowing, and his brother said, I had to break it so you could get the full effect from it. I almost ran because I could hear God saying to me, I had to break you so I could show you why I created you. You had to go through it so you could fulfill your purpose. That little baby was happy just swinging that unbroken glow stick around in the air because he didn't understand what it was created to do, and that was to glow. So there are some people that are content to just be, but there's others of us that God have chosen. We have to be broken. We have to be sick. We have to be in financial trouble. We have to struggle. We have to experience trauma or abuse or violence. We have to feel intense pain because in those moments of desperation, God is breaking us. But when that breaking is done, it's then we'll be able to see the reason for which we were created. So when you see us glowing, You just know that we've been broken, but we have been healed by his holy blood on the cross. We've been healed by his grace and his mercy. Thank you. Thank you.